podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Miller, lovely cushion header. But Hello everybody and welcome back to the Champions League podcast. Yes, the Champions League's back. Unfortunately, Liverpool are in Champions League winning form as it stands. Uh, joining me today is the former host of this said podcast, Mr Andy Wales. How are you, sir? Uh, good afternoon for me. Um, I'm, I'm okay. Um, <laughs> apart from the football, <laughs> just what we need. As, always, Champions as okay League as can be. Misery to us. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, hopefully we'll put a little bit of a positive spin on this. You know, at least if we look at the Leipzig side of things, then they are doing pretty well. Um, but obviously, the players who aren't doing pretty well. Um, but all that leads is to an intriguing fixture, and you know, Leipzig as as it, as they are is an unpredictable, exciting team. Um, so it should make for an unpredictable, exciting tie, given. Our form, anyway. Um, so I've got Andy on. Basically, a is you know homage to the man who used to do this podcast for us, um, and b Andy now resides in Germany. So whereabouts in Germany are you now, Andy? I'm in the the region of North Rhine-Westphalen or North Rhine-Westphalia, to anglicise it. Uh, I'm not too far from the city of Munster, so I'm kind of halfway between. Well, not quite halfway, but uh, halfway between uh, Dortmund and, and Munster. So right within that rural region. So lots and lots of football on my doorstep once um, COVID does one and we can all get back to football properly. Um, but it's uh, it, it's a nice place to be and to be surrounded by so much football is um, particularly uh, enjoying, enjoyable. Funny you should mention that actually because it popped up on my uh, Facebook this morning. Five years ago, I was at a Dortmund game with my friend. Uh, we went over to Dusseldorf for the weekend and got the train down to Dortmund. I think it was maybe Hanover they played, but it was a 2-1 victory or a 2-0 victory. But just the whole football experience in Germany is something else compared to the UK. I know you can probably vouch that yourself. Ah, uh, Yeah, absolutely. It's... Um... I, I know it's almost cliched and, and whatnot, but here that the football it is is more towards the fans. The the fans have a much greater control over things. Uh, the fan culture is is what it's famed for here. Uh, and it certainly does does make a difference. It is noticeable when you're at the games. And just that entire experience, it, it's fantastic at all levels. And that is the thing, at all levels. It really is a community thing. And it's just it's just such an enjoyable experience. It's it's the kind of it's I guess again it's a cliche kind of thing but but it's football how it's how it is meant to be it's football how you imagine it it's football how you want to experience it 
and you get in the stands and you know you stood amongst people who can have a drink and have something to eat uh, and just sing uh, and really be a part of it and, and there's a much closer connection between uh, players clubs and fans here and and the strength that they have here with the with the fans the power that they have means that clubs cannot just disappear off into the ether and take the clubs you know and take their clubs away from them because you know, the clubs do belong to the fans uh, and it, and it does it does make a real real difference and it's a, it's a it's a real shame yeah there is a lot of money in british football but there's also a hell of a lot of debt uh, and there's a real chasm between the fans and the clubs and that experience of what fans want and I guess it's why a lot of people feel kind of dis- disenfranchised and why they go to uh, non-league games. Um, you, you still have that connection here. So it's, it is it is enjoyable. It is noticeable. It is different. And, and I would urge anyone to come and experience it for yourselves at any level, any level. Yeah, I definitely second that one. I think from my experience, the, the game is the day where over here, going to the match is part of your day. It's two or three hours out of your day. You might crack on and do whatever else. But in Germany, for me, it was the game was the whole day, the whole experience. Obviously, we, we stayed in Dusseldorf, so it was an hour and a half, I think, on the train up to Dortmund. But then as soon as you get off the train in Dortmund, you know yourself, it's a, it's a bit of a walk to the ground, but everyone just does it together. And then everyone goes back to the train station together and even on the train back to wherever you're going, there's fans, you're having a chat, and it was a good eight, nine-hour experience, and it was fully enjoyable. Um, but I guess, as you touched on, football belongs to the fans, and maybe that nicely ties into RB Leipzig, because they are the one club that seems to have a lot of opposition from fan groups within Germany, so give us a little overview of the history of why that's such a, a big issue in German football yeah the, the, the whole 50 plus 1 rule in Germany is a big thing and it's a very well protected thing from the fans and there are some people within the clubs that you know that look to try and overrule it, overturn it uh, as best they can you know to look for more investment because you know, sadly football nowadays is so much about the money but the fans do continue to resist it, and and rightly so, because it does maintain that power base, that connection for the fans to the clubs. Uh, and football is a bit more sustainable here in Germany uh, as a result. Uh, it doesn't mean they're immune from the whole court, the effect, you know, the impact of COVID, the financial impact. But there isn't the same level of debt generally, other than Schalke and Ulfia, But that's another matter. So when you get to uh, to Leipzig. That is, it's, yeah, ironically, you know, we're talking about the connection and the fans and, and everything like that. And Leipzig is a completely different thing. And there is um, a deep dislike, shall we say, towards Leipzig from virtually every single fan base in Germany. Um, and it is around that commercialism because Leipzig was just a village team that, the you know, the Red Bull organization bought, pumped money into. And as a sporting thing, you know, the way that they have it set up and the football they want to play and, and this whole sort of um, business concept they have, you know, it's there's a lot of positives within that. And, and that whole setup, the amount of coaches that have come out of it and influenced by it, you know, it, is, is, it has a, it, it's a real wide, um, wide-ranging 
impact within the game. However, it, it is that whole existence of the club and how they came about and the fact that they are not a part of this 50 plus one. And Hoffenheim is the same thing. And there is, um, it, there's almost an equal disliking towards Hoffenheim for the way that, um, again, they have circumnavigated the rules. But uh, Leipzig is particularly uh, one that, that gets that gets to the uh, gets to the nerves of, of so many uh, fans of German football clubs because of that commercialization, and they they see them uh, as something that is to be opposed and resisted. That you know commercialization of football and, and taking and just pumping money in, and it's it you know so it's a club without real history or foundation. Uh, in the truest sense, it's just a commercial. It, it's a marketing outlet for for a energy drink brand, you know. And and I, I totally understand why fans feel like they do. But on the flip side of that is the the like we said, like I said, that you know the whole business concept they have, the way that they run it, the sporting concept. Um, that you know they they're a breeding ground for exciting players and exciting coaches and, and they can be a very very good watch a very good watch yeah I mean there is there's a lot of coaches and players we've got quite a little tap on it ourselves haven't we given the the players that have come out of the Red Bull system into into Liverpool and the likes of Mane, Keita, Minamino um, and obviously got Hassan Hüttel within the Premier League manager and is, is doing very well for himself obviously not, not so good recently but on the whole Southampton since Hassan Hüttel's come in, I've probably played the best football they've played since the Poch, which was obviously around about seven years ago now. Um, so yeah, the, I know I know the Leipzig opposition in German football. I do try and get some German football in most weekends, maybe a game or two, usually centred around if I can watch Dortmund. Um, but I do if you can watch Leipzig, if they're involved in the game, or Leverkusen, for me, they're usually the most exciting teams to watch because the Munich games tend to be just steamrolling. Um, I, would you say is Dortmund your local or go-to team in Germany? Well, I went to school in, in Dortmund. My, my whole secondary uh, school went, went through there. So I do have an affinity with Dortmund. Uh, my closest club is actually Preussen Munster, but they're down in. They've now been, they were relegated last season from the third league into a regional league. But as I said, you know there are so many clubs in this area: um, Rotweiss Hessen, Warfow Bochum, uh, Schalke, Dusseldorf, Köln, uh, Munster Gladbach, Dortmund. You know that there, there are a number, a number of uh, clubs, historical clubs, within this region, but. Um, if you know, yeah, if you're looking for a club with the most affinity to here in Germany, it probably is Borussia Dortmund. Yeah, of, of course, and I think a lot of Liverpool fans have sort of gravitated towards Dortmund, given the the clock connection. Obviously, there's other stuff like the Olympic Walk Alone connection and stuff like that. But we'll get into the the Champions League meat and bones. I just wanted to get a little bit of background on Leipzig and a little bit of German history for us all from Mr. Wales there. So. As we are now, we're in the, the round of 16. Um, but to get there, we had to obviously navigate through a group stage. And I think we made a little bit more heavy weather of it um, for what we probably should have done, uh, given our group with Atalanta, Ajax and Michelin. But we got there in the end and we, we finished as 
as group winners. Um, so I'm sure Liverpool fans won't need to be reminded of that. But for Leipzig, it was what was probably deemed a, a challenging group that they were probably going to fight for second place, which it ended up ultimately being. Um, their group was themselves, obviously, PSG, Manchester United and Istanbul, Besiktas, which I hope I haven't mullered. Um, they had a bit of a mixed run through the group, like no sport results maybe to Man United getting hammered 5-0 at Old Trafford, but then going down to the last day of the group stage, they had to beat United um, to guarantee qualification, and from what I can remember from that game, Leipzig soared off to a 3-0 lead and then seemed to self-combust into a 3-2 with the possibility of United could have nicked it at the end and got a draw and went through. Um, what do you sort of make? Is that how Leipzig are in general in German football? They sort of either can be brilliant or self-combust at any time? I, I, they're almost the epitome of, of this season, I think. It's, you know, you go back the, the past couple of seasons, but the past three seasons, really, I suppose, and with Liverpool and Man City and, you know, that consistency of winning virtually, you know, week in, week out, and then Bayern in Germany, pretty much kind of the same thing. You're just not seeing that this season. And teams are really struggling to find a, a consistency level, even the, the, you know, the best teams. But I think Leipzig have been kind of like that anyway. You know, that they've, they've got such a talented squad. And expectations obviously have been increased, and that they can get off to a great start of the season. Sort of four or five games in, the, the the form is good, they're looking good, and people are start to ask the question of, are they now serious title contenders? Have they, you know, they took that step up to become serious title contenders, and then they'll lose a game that you wouldn't expect them to lose, or they'll, or like you say, you know, they'll they'll go two nil up, and then they'll end up drawing again. And the inconsistency comes in, and then they'll have three, four, a run of three, four games like that where they're dropping points. And then they'll, they'll go back on the winning run of a few games, and then the questions will be asked again oh, you know, are they serious title contenders? And the whole process just keeps going round. And they'll always be somewhere near in the mix in that top three in Germany, but not quite consistent enough to be considered serious title contenders to buy in. And and I kind of I guess that kind of <laughs> epitomizes how football has been this year, where teams have gone on runs, but then they're dropping points here, there, and everywhere, and you're having some weird results in games. You know, you think of Liverpool getting smashed by Aston Villa at the same weekend that Man United got smashed at home by Spurs. So the, the, there are odd results here, there, there are inconsistent performances, uh, and that is very much Leipzig. You know, what you saw in that Manchester United game where they, you know, they go into a three goal lead. They should be comfortable, but somehow when they step in off the gas, they become vulnerable. And rather than controlling the game, they allow the opposition onto them and then they start to look vulnerable. Uh, and it was a similar kind of thing on Friday night uh, here in the Bundesliga when they played Augsburg. They were 2 0 up, really, really comfortable. They start to take the foot off the gas a little bit and rather than control a game in a way that, you know, the, the elite teams can, can do and see the game out. They, they step off and invite trouble and all of a sudden they concede a goal and then they're in for the, a very, very sort of tricky last 15 to 20 minutes. And they came through it on Friday, but they very nearly didn't. So 
that that is you know almost quintessentially Leipzig is you you're never quite sure what you're going to get and and that's not just game to game that could be within the game you know that can yeah. be sort of minute to minute you can have they could be scintillating in the first half and even in the first, you know the next 15 20 minutes of the second half and you think this team looks really good here and then all of a sudden there's a mad 10 15 minutes and the game is in the balance so unpredictable is probably the best description of them I guess that's what's the the law to maybe watch German football and maybe watch Leipzig in general because that's what you I mean I know the Premier League this season has been a bit house of scouts and you get these odd things but it seems that any time you put a German game on on the telly there tends to be goals and excitement involved in them so you know if if people are looking for a bit of a relief from the Premier League especially if you're a Liverpool fan at the moment then you know try the Bundesliga for, for style Um as it stands, Leipzig are, I'd say, pretty comfortably in second in the league. They're on 44 points behind Bayern, who are on 48, who obviously have a game in hand given their World Club Cup victory this week. So they're obviously due to make that up. But Bayern, as the machine they are, will probably put their foot down for the second half of the season and run away with that league probably by 10 points or more. But just looking at the form... um. Well, we'll start with Leipzig first. Since the Champions League group stage, um, they've had eight league wins, one defeat, two draws. Uh, they've had another two wins in the Pokal, the, obviously the German Cup. Compared to Liverpool, we've had four league wins, four defeats, four draws. We've had a win and a defeat in uh, the FA Cup. So the form guide would say Leipzig are on form um, compared to what we are at the moment. Um and just recently in the league, you'd probably say that Leipzig are four wins from six, uh, four wins from five and two draws, I think, or one draw. The defeat came to Dortmund in a quite exciting game. Um, they are the ones that probably, you would say, were favourites for this, other than we are previous holders of the Champions League with previous finalists in the last three years. Is it just purely our name and reputation that has given us the favourites tagging this one, or would you say it's a downright the middle 50-50 tie? Uh, with the nature of the two teams as they are uh, this season, uh, it is a kind of a flip of the coin match. I think you know, like, like I mentioned, how inconsistent both teams have been and and how unpredictable. Leipzig can be within 90 minutes. Uh, it is that kind of thing where you can't, you know, accurately predict quite what is going to happen because you can make a case for any of the three outcomes in terms of a result. But on on form, yeah, on reputation and on overall talent, um, Liverpool should be the favourites, but. On form, on current form, where where things are right now, Leipzig have to be have to be the favourites to go through here, uh, and that that's you know that that's a difficult thing to say as as a Liverpool fan of 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 a fantastic Liverpool team, you know that that we we're eulogising about after you know winning the Champions League and then the following season winning the Premier League, and, and talking about this as potentially one of the greatest Liverpool teams ever to, to be here halfway through the season going into the, the knockout stages of the Champions League and saying, you know what, yeah, this um, talented but unpredictable 
and sometimes vulnerable Leipzig team are the favourites for this tie, or they should be the favourites for this tie. But like you said, you know, the form, you know, it, it's, it tells its own story, unfortunately. Liverpool aren't in a great place. Leipzig do have mistakes in them and inconsistency in them, but overall their form is, is better than Liverpool's and, and certainly their confidence is. This is potentially, <clears throat> as most fans may see in it, a bit of welcome relief for Liverpool. You know, it's a, it's a different competition. The, the expectations are probably a lot different. I mean, Klopp conceded the title reluctantly over the weekend. Um, I think most fans in our heart of hearts probably conceded the title a few weeks ago, uh, given Man City's form. But the Champions League is a different competition. It's knockout football. It's it's how we've probably been under Klopp at our best was in knockout, position, uh, knockout competitions, obviously given the Europa League run, the two Champions League runs to the final and the victory and won. Um, unfortunately, last season fizzled out with the Atletico Madrid result. But, you know, expectations with this, are you just got to get through each tie so it, it can be microcosm down to, to getting through these 180 minutes or hopefully not any more for us in other time for fixtures that may go uh, level, but the expectations can be changed, that the goalposts can be narrowed, and maybe it's just what we need, something less bigger to focus on, something that we can just concentrate on, and obviously the league is important, given the financial impact of retaining our Champions League positions for next season and finishing in the top four, but what is going on in the league and what's going on in the club in general, and there's been a hell of a lot of chatter on Twitter last night up regarding Klopp and for for what it's worth for me, I think the man literally looks like he needs a break and I would not be averse to him stepping out for a week or two and just getting himself mentally refreshed because he looks exhausted and he's he's carrying the burden of family pressures, he's carrying the burden of club pressures, injuries, the media constantly pecking at him and he is only human. He is only a man at the end of the day doing a job and pressures get to us all and it, I think yesterday he just looked like the tipping point physically he just looked done um, so I don't think he'll walk away but I think we should maybe encourage a break for him for the, at least a couple of weeks um, but do you think this is an opportunity for Liverpool to, to shift their focus and and maybe try and finish the season with a shining light and a shiny trophy at the end of it? Yeah, just on on the human element, I think that's an important thing to point out. You know that there's there's so much attention and focus, uh, you know, on lockdowns and how they need to be eased, you know, for mental health and all the rest of it, and people worrying about uh, the getting the virus, spreading the virus, their family members, their friends, um, you know, the whole isolation thing, how people deal with being away from other people and not being able to lead a normal life and, and you know, this whole thing that's been dragging on for around a year now. Um, football is not immune from that. Footballers are human beings. Just just the same, you know. Jurgen Klopp and the, the all the Liverpool players, they're not robots, they're human beings. So how you feel about the lockdown and COVID situation, they're also feeling that. You know, they're, they're not immune to that. They also have those concerns. You know, a lot of these guys, you know, from we've got players from all over the world in this squad. 
they won't be able to go and see family. They won't be able to do a lot of, you know, reach out and travel. Some of them won't have seen family for, you know, for months and months. So it's bound to have an effect. And the things, obviously, uh, condolences to Jurgen Klopp, you know, the, the loss of his mother um, recently and not being able to go to her funeral through all of this. You know, it, it's I've, I've lost my mother you know, nearly 20 years ago. And so I know how that feels and what he's going through. But to not be able to, you know, be there with his family, not be able to go to the funeral, that's, that. you know, it's difficult to sort of comprehend what he's feeling whilst he's also, you know, doing this high-pressure job, trying to meet the expectations of millions of people around the world whilst everybody's watching every single piece of it as well. Uh, and in a season where all of this is going on and the personal side of it that's happening, you've also then is in the situation where his his, his squad has not had a regular uh, preseason and the rest that you'd normally have, you've got a condensed season, the amount of injuries that they're having to deal with. And obviously, I think it's not an excuse, but some of those egregious you know, decisions that have gone against the team at times that have changed the outcome of games. All of this combined, it just making it such a very difficult season, a difficult situation to handle. And, 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 and not just, so not just for us as fans, but, you know, maybe for the players and the staff as well, being able to get away from the day to day stuff and, and to go. And, and play in the Champions League uh, to get away from the regular side of things. Maybe this is a kind of release that they need. Maybe they do. They will feel that there's a little bit of pressure off. You know, it's a two-legged tie. You win or lose. You know, the, the, maybe the pressure doesn't feel quite the same as that intensity at home and in, in the domestic side of things, where they feel like they're all they're like chasing, chasing, chasing the expectation as champions. So. Maybe it is what we need, and maybe it is what the players need. And and in terms of Klopp taking a break, um, I, I could totally understand if he wanted to. But given the the fact that you you can't really be with family and they can't travel, he maybe feels that you know working his way through this it would be his best outlet in, in dealing with it. So, um, but I would be behind Jurgen Klopp making whatever decision he felt best was uh, was best for Jurgen Klopp. Yeah, 100%. Whatever that man wants, that man should have. For what he's given this club on and off the field, he is entitled to anything he wants. Um, and I'm sure every honest football fan, not just Liverpool fan, football fan, would say that man has changed Liverpool inside and out and he deserves anything that he wants. So if he wants to walk away for the rest of the season and take some time off, so be it. If he wants a couple of weeks break, so be it. If he wants to crack on, so be it. But what the media need to do especially is just lay off him. He is a man at the end of the day. And it might sound like we're being petty, Liverpool fans and VAR going against us a lot this season. But the media have certainly pecked his head a lot and pushed and pushed and pushed for narratives and agendas to create storylines um, and that cannot be helping at all and you know they've got a duty of care to report the game but they've also got a duty of care to you know respect the individual as a human being 
Um, so I think that needs to be addressed on some sort of level. Um, but we we digress slightly off off topic there. But we will get back to this tie, and this tie in itself is a bit unique. That it's not going to be played in Germany. It's going to be played in Budapest in Hungary um, because of obviously Germany's COVID restriction travel laws from the UK. Um, so we obviously have to relocate. Hungary is not too far from uh, Leipzig in general, so you know it's not too far to travel for Leipzig. But it, maybe the neutral venue might just, you know, slightly tip the playing field, and who knows? Um, and then obviously, as it stands, the tie is currently scheduled for the tenth of March, which is the return leg in the UK, obviously at Anfield. That tie is currently in question as to where that could be played given obviously Leipzig coming from Germany to the UK and returning from the UK would then potentially involve some sort of quarantine for the team when they return back to Germany so I think at the moment that one is still for question but the UK's COVID how would you describe this um, measures <laughs> of how this is being handled by said governments um, is due for re- renew. Um, I think it's in a week's time. And then maybe we might know more from then as to how, you know, the the outcome of what the UK is doing and maybe Germany might lessen their stance on the, on the situation that uh, we can all probably have to just wait and see. Um, and that's politically and governmentally out of the club's hands. Um, so as it stands for this one, we've just got to deal with what we've got, which is a trip to Hungary. Uh, Budapest, lovely city. I've been there a couple of times. Um, but obviously, Liverpool are there for business uh, purposes only to deal with Leipzig. So, getting into to Leipzig as a team, um, you know, they, they've got a quite a, a healthy sized squad. Um, if you just look at the fixture from Friday night against Augsburg, I'd say they probably rested about half a dozen players. Um, if you look at the lineup, it was. Nominally, you can correct me on this if I'm wrong, Andy. Three four three, with uh, Peter Galaxy, the former Liverpool keeper in goal. He's a standard number one. Klosterman, Orban, Halstenberg as a back three. Mukiele and Angelino as wing backs. Haidara, Campbell in the middle of the park. Unkunku playing off Danny Olmo and Christian Poulsen. Yusef uh, Poulsen, not Christian Poulsen. God, the memories. Uh, and obviously players such as. Uh, Tara Adams, Kanate, Sabitza, Upa Meccano, all rested Huang and Soloff, uh, and Clive, attacking players who were also on the bench. So, am I right in saying that's probably correct that they've rested a few in, in preparation for this tie? Oh, they've definitely rested a few. Uh, I mean, they, they do tend to play um, a back three with the wing backs and, and then. A kind of triangular midfield with one holding and two more attacking, and then a front two. That that's how typically in in I suppose you could um, you, you could call it a three three two two. That's typically how Nagelsmann has has lined up Leipzig in, in his time. Occasionally he's mixed it around, and it, and he is that kind of a coach that does uh, throw in the, the surprise here and there. But usually they they do. Um, they do come out in that kind of shape. Yeah, they definitely rested a few players here. Um, you know, key players as well. You know, Marcel Sabitzer, uh, the captain, given a break. Um, Upa Makano starting on the bench. Konate, 
uh, starting on the bench, but then coming back from an injury. So he was only back in the squad uh, the previous week anyway. Um, so, and and then they they mix around their their attacking options quite often. He does does a fair bit of rotation, so it's it can be difficult to predict. But certainly, a couple of key players in there in terms of Zabitzer and Upamecano get getting a break with one eye on this tie. But um, but again, having to bring them on and use up a lot of that mental energy because them last fifteen twenty minutes of the game were very very hairy for them. Yeah, so, I mean, centre-halves is where I'm going to go with this one, given A, our centre-half crisis, um, and B, the Leipzig centre-halves in Uber Meccano and Canate are the ones that have been linked to us. Now, I think it's been unofficially confirmed by Munich that Uber Meccano is, is off there in the summer. Is that what um, buying a source is saying without confirming any sort of fee? Yeah, there's the sources close to buying that have come out and said that you know effectively this has been agreed, um, and I mean it's no real surprise in all honesty. I, I was saying uh, back last summer that you know I don't really understand the links to Liverpool because it's difficult to see anything but Upa Meccano going to to buy in. They were they were clearly very keen on him. They'll be exercising the buyout clause. And, and the expectation is that uh, sooner or later it will be confirmed and, and Upa Meccano will become a Bayern München player, sorry, Bayern Munich player in the summer. So, you know, he's he's physically imposing, he's quick, he's uh, he's very, very good on the ball, but he does have a rick in him and he sometimes has more than one or even two ricks in him in a game. And and if you watch that Man United game where they trounced them five 0 early in the competition, you'll see that he he had an awful night. Yeah, so, I was just about to say that that was the yeah, game he, so he seemed um, to fall apart and go full on Lovren crisis. Yeah, he, he can do that. He can still do that. I mean, he's he's a young player. He's, there's a lot of potential there. And like you say, you know, the physical side of it, he's he's big, he's domineering, he's quick, but he's such a smooth uh, footballer as well. He's so good on the ball. But positionally and, like you say, and in terms of concentration levels, yet yeah, sometimes he switches off. And, and that's why I've always been such a huge fan of Konate, because Ibrahima Konate, he has all the physical attributes of, of uh, Upamakano in terms of size and speed and, you know, being aerially dominant, uh, dominant. And he might not be as good a footballer with the ball at his feet, as Upamecano, but positionally, in terms of reading the play, pure defensive side of it, Konate is is a vastly superior defender in my eyes. In my eyes, uh, the only question mark, of course, being that Konate does have these injuries, so it's um, it, it's it's uncertain. I'd say in terms of quite what back three um, Nagelsmann will opt for. Personally, I would expect. Uh, it would be uh, Willy Orban and Upa Meccano and and Miki and uh, Mikieli as, as a back three. It's, prob- it's possibly one or two games too soon to see um, to see Konate start, but you never know. Maybe a surprise in there for us. Yeah, just looking at the the starts and games this season across obviously the Champions League and and the league. Upa Meccano's twenty six starts. 
Uh, Mukiele is 21, but he does occasionally play a few positions. Um, Willie Orban, 19. Halstenberg, 17. Klosterman, 11. Kanate, just 5. Obviously, you said the, the injury issues. So, you know, the the consistency is probably the three that you mentioned in Uban, uh, Orban, Uka Meccano and Mukiele. Um But as we know, Julian Nagelsmann is a bit of a innovative coach and as much as he likes to dress a bit trendy and wacky, he also likes a bit of a trendy, wacky formation and changes within the game. Um, so, you know, we have got a touch on Liverpool. Unfortunately, um, we've, we've avoided it for nearly half an hour or so now. Um, but our centre-half pairing, you know, yesterday we lined up against Leicester with uh, Ozan Kabak and Jordan Henderson, given the news that we received. Fabinho was slightly injured and received a knock, whether that was in training or from the City game. I don't quite know. I've sort of become immune to injury news from Liverpool now. Um, ben Davis was not in the squad. We later found out just before the game that he received a little knock in training, which was, you know, the case of the Liverpool centre-half injury crisis. So, as it stands, going into the midweek fixture, we've got Ozan Kabak, who's been obviously registered for the Champions League, Jordan Henderson, Nat Phillips and Reese Williams as our, in brackets, recognised centre-half options. Um do you think we just go with what we would digest the audio? <clears throat> Excuse me. Are you hoping for some better news in the maybe Fabinho or Ben Davis are, are available um, for this tie? Given it's Tuesday, it's quite a small window from obviously Saturday lunchtime when we had the news that they weren't available. I wouldn't expect Ben Davis to start. I think it's way too early in his career to have come from a championship and then to be going straight into um, a Champions League game. Um, my, my sort of guess is that he he will he's just a squad option that may get some game time a little later in the season, or unless we you know we've we've got a further crisis. Uh, heaven help us. Um, if Fabinho isn't back, and I guess the indications are that he won't be, then then I would expect to see the same the same pairing lineup of Henderson and Quebec and. Yeah, against a team like Leipzig with um, the quality that they do have in the attacking areas of the pitch, that I think there is definitely reason for concern there, <clears throat> particularly in in the areas that um, Leicester looked at uh, looked to hit Liverpool. You know, there was so much of the attack from Leicester was concentrated in that in that area between uh, right back and centre back. And looking in to hit that space, and they've got the players and the formation that they'll play. They'll pull off into them areas, uh, and I'm sure they'll look to hit them areas as well. And and the other thing that Leicester got joy from was was Jamie Vardy, you know, peeling off Jordan Henderson and getting in behind him, and that happened three four times. Uh, Jordan Henderson is not a centre back, and so it's it's no, no fault of Jordan Henderson. He's playing in an unfamiliar position, and. <clears throat> He is by nature a midfielder, so he's just the way he's seen the game, the way he reads the game, the way he plays the game is as a midfielder, and he's trying to adjust, but he's a midfielder. So it's natural that, you know, accomplished forwards like Jamie Vardy is, let's, you know, let's make no bones about it, Jamie Vardy is accomplished a forward a striker who's who's got a hell of a lot of goals and consistently, uh, consistently over the last, you know, five years. Um, he was able to peel off behind him and and get chances and and I'm certain that 
that Leipzig would look to do the same thing. And Christopher Nkunku could be the, the, the player ideally suited for Leipzig to, um, to expose the weaknesses that we do have in that area of the pitch, unfortunately. Yeah, I mean, they've got several options, but from the little bits of Leipzig I've seen, Nkunku is probably the most lively of the attackers. They've got a couple of what you would call more conventional number nines in Soloff, Wang and Poulsen. They were a bit more straight up in your face, probably do the stuff in the air and keep it neat and tidy and bring lad like Nkunku and Omo and uh, Clive it when he gets a game in and around to do the the stuff on the floor, um, but I can't see them just playing into our hands with a with a straight up big front two. It is probably going to be maybe one of Soloff or Poulsen. I think with Olmowun and Kunku, is that probably how you'd expect their front three to line up? Yeah, I, I would. I would expect Poulsen and Kunku to be to be the front two, uh, and then it's just a question mark of who is playing in in them attacking areas now. They have been using Kevin Campbell as the more defensively minded midfielder, and I think there's 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 hope for us to get in and around that because um, he's he's a he's a good player, but I, I don't think he's a, he's elite level in that area of the pitch. But Marcel Zabitzer attacking into them uh, spaces, sort of in between midfield and defence, that 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 he could be a real real threat, and then it'll be whether or not um, he opts for. You know the work of Hydara in there, or the or the guile of uh, Danny Olmo. I mean, that, that's kind of again the, the toss of the coin as to what um, Nagelsmann decides to go for. But it's uh, like you say, it's it's that thing of Zabitzer picking the balls up in in them areas of the pitch. You know, just in front of the defence, he's so so good at it, and this guy can shoot. You know, any twenty to twenty five yards, he's 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 really really good. He's distant shooting and they'll follow in as well, quickly in behind. But it's again over and over it's it's Christopher Nkunku. Um he's quick, he's tricky, making the runs in behind. That that is that for me is the is the uh, the biggest threat and, and the one thing that really troubles me. Yeah, I mean what you give for the defensive midfield is shield just to sit in front of our back. Two or four, however you want to put it, this game would be be lovely. Um, I'm guessing the only positive I'm going to take from this is the fact that the game, well, the second leg is middle of March. We've got three weeks between this leg and the next leg. Hopefully by then we have a couple of players back. So should things go a bit pear-shaped, we have got the, the second leg to hopefully rectify it. But fingers crossed it doesn't go that bad for us. So coming on to the the Liverpool side of things, obviously we had the disappointing results at Leicester yesterday. We all know how that went. We all know the situation within the game. I just want to get your view on how you think Quebec done. Obviously it was his first start in the league, um, first half of Liverpool, in fact, at all. I thought he'd done okay. He'd done the nuts and bolts of everything pretty damn well. He just kept it nice and simple. And For me, he was not to blame for for that goal where Alisson came rushing out and basically nearly clattered them and there was a misconfusion and Vardy walked it in and then I think other than that I think the whole team's mental psyche had gone um, given the VAR incidents for the first goal and obviously what come afterwards in the next eight minutes we were we were out the game 
Um, but as it stands, uh, as a nuts and bolts defender, 20 years of age coming into your, your first start against probably one of the best strikers in the league over the past five, six, seven years, I think he did all right. And, you know, he's no no worse than what we've got. He may not be any better than what we've got, but, you know, he's a recognised centre-half. He does the job. And I just wanted to get your opinion on how you think he done yesterday. I'd agree. I thought I thought he did okay. Um, like you say, there was a couple of times where I feel like they were peeling off him and attacking that space between him and Trent. Um, but but overall, I, I think he was fine. Like you say, he was he was quite safe on the ball. Quite simple, you know, keeping it keeping it safe, keeping it simple, finding a teammate, build his confidence and familiarity with all those players around him. And and I would also agree in terms of um, that second goal conceded. Yeah, I, th- I think that one is on Allison. <clears throat> if it, Allison, not sure why he's coming out, but uh, once he is coming out, he's got to be screaming so everybody knows that he's coming out and, and he takes command. And then you would hope he gets a better connection on it. So just unfortunate for Quebec that he's involved in that. Um, He's done a bit up on the on the third goal, but again, you know, I, I think the whole team had, had had pretty much checked out by that point, yeah. unfortunately, uh, and 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 sadly, you know, the the, the fragility of confidence w- was there as soon as the equaliser went in. That you know, they, they lost their heads for ten minutes, and the, that's the only concern as well with with Quebec that he's come from a team that the mentality over the past year has been just used to use, used to losing games, used to conceding goals, used to things going wrong. So, you know, you, you would hope you bring him into a confident team that's doing well and you would build him up and, and build upon, you know, the, the basic attributes that he has. But um, it's it's he's coming into he's come from a tough situation and he's coming into another tough situation. But uh, pure nuts and bolts, yeah, I think I think he did okay. Yeah, I was pleasantly okay with him. Um, I mean, we we can't really predict the Leipzig lineup because Nagelsmann is just as crazy as Pep. Where you you know you you think if you're like me, you play fantasy football and you put in a Man City player and you think that that's an that's a nailed on starter for this week and Pep doesn't start them. Nagelsmann's probably the same. Um, but for Liverpool, I think we can probably write our 11 out now. I think obviously Alisson will continue in goal. Um, there's no, there's obviously crazy heads out there calling for changes, but you know, he is the man that's won us leagues and Champions League. So that's, that's bizarre. Uh, the back four, as we, we probably expect will be the back four from Saturday. The front three will probably be the front three. Um, and given Milner went off at the 16-minute mark against Leicester, the midfield three will probably be the midfield three that we've seen for the majority of the game in Thiago, Wijnaldum and Kersus Jones. Um, I don't think there's even a, a conversation to be had about players who can come in. For me, Oxley chamberlain has flattered to deceive. I know he suffered injuries, but he just looks a shadow of a player. Origi hamstring injury we were told for yesterday but again very much the shadow of a player that we've we've seen in any sort of uh, competitive form and then 
you're literally scratching around for, for a couple of kids on the bench. There's not a lot else there in the squad. I think the game will come too soon for Naby Keita. I think Klopp said on Friday he's in the final stages of his rehab, which you may see him on the bench for the derby, which would be pleasantly uh, nice to see. I think Jota's two to three weeks away, which we've been told for the last two to three weeks, but he, he continues to be extended as rehab. And Fabinho, I'm not holding out much hope. And obviously Ben Davis, if he is available, may just be a bench option. So I think the 11 is what we've seen for the majority of the game yesterday. And on the whole, we we done okay. We we created plenty of openings, but as you say, mentally, we, we crumbled when that goal went in. Is that how you probably see us lined up? Or have you got any curveballs that you could throw in for us? I don't want to throw any curveballs in because, uh, barring any fitness surprises, um, I, I I wouldn't expect the eleven to change. Um, hopefully, getting Fabinho and Naby Keita back fit very very soon increases the options in midfield because if Fabinho goes into defence, at least that releases Henderson into the midfield, and then you've got Naby Keita amongst there, and then suddenly you've got five midfielders to pick from. And you can rotate a little more, and you you suddenly you've, as well you've got different options from the bench to do different things, and the team is really really lacking that. Um, <laughs> Diogo Jota, who knows when he might be fit? Um, it would be nice to think that in a few weeks he will be you know available for selection, because again, that gives us different options in attack, something that we have not had. So, yeah, it it would it would certainly be pleasant to be able to get a few of these players back and and the fact that we've got three weeks between these ties is probably the thing that gives us a, a little bit of hope because you never know where things might be in a few weeks time in terms of form confidence and availability but um, in terms of this game on Tuesday my expectation is that we will see the same 11 and yeah <laughs> Um, you're not holding up much. In terms of yeah, you know that in terms of what we saw for them ten minutes, you just hope we don't see that. Uh, and and the other side of that again is as you've mentioned is what you can do to change it from the bench. Looking at the options, sadly there really isn't anything there that um, makes a case for changing the eleven. Yeah, it's a sorry state of affairs and. I think in the Champions League, I'm sure the benches are extended, aren't they? Is it you can have 12 players on the bench, so you know we could be drafting a couple of tea ladies and kit men to sit on the bench for us this weekend, uh, this Tuesday night, which you know it wouldn't be a surprise given what we've got. Um, Maybe you can put Cop at centre back. Yeah, Linda's on the wing. Well, so we got there. No, I don't want John Atterberg and go because that man can certainly not kick a ball. I've watched him in the warm-ups at Anfield; he can't kick a ball. <laughs> Um, so yeah, we'll stick with Allison in goal. <sighs> right, let's have a little prediction from you. Then, how do you think the game will pan out? And hopefully, oh, give a, give us a result <laughs> that you can possibly uh, predict. Uh, like you say, you know, in terms of predicting, it's always like predicting their their eleven. I, I mean, as I've said, look, I I would expect Duncan and Paulson to be their front two. Um, in terms of their back three, now. I'd say you like Upa Meccano, Orban uh, and Mukieli, but it may well be, you know, that that, that um, Nagelsmann looks at our threat of Mane and of Robertson attacking down that side of the pitch 
and decides to, rather than play Tyler Adams in that position, decides to use Nordin Mukele as, as a right wing back. So we might see Klosterman in, in as, as one of the back three, but they always play Angelino as their left wing back. He's uh, their top scorer as well this season, isn't he? Uh, second top scorer. Poulsen's got nine. Now, this is a big thing, you know, that uh, Timo Werner obviously was the main source of goals for them. And, you know, no one player has, re- has replaced that contribution. So instead, that you know, it's being shared out. And Josef, Josef Poulsen has got nine goals in all competitions. Um, and Angelino's next on eight. But after that, it's Zabitzer and Kunku and Forsberg have each got five in all competitions, you know, from their 30 games this season. So they do share the goals around. So it's not like there is one particular threat or one, one certain player that you pick up yeah. or that you look to. But Angelino is a real, real threat. Now, down that side, obviously, he, he's going forward. He's a real danger for them, creates chances and, and chips in with goals as well. And the way Trent's been playing, and that area of that pitch between the centre-back and right-back for us is is a concern. But the flip side of that is we remember Angelino at Manchester City, and as good as he is going forward, he's equally as bad in defence. So there may be some joy for us. Uh, so, you know, like I said, that that area in front of their back three, there's the mistakes that they're capable of making, there's them dropping off, and inviting us on, and there's the defensive issues they've got on their left-hand side of their pitch. So there, there is there is some hope for us that we can do things. We can we can hurt them, but equally, you know, they're good on the transition. They could really hurt us. So it's I'm gonna say this is a Leipzig win three-two. I'll take that. I'll take any away goals that we can get. Um... I'm hoping we come out of there with goals and I'm hoping that, you know, for me, our best result obviously would be a win. But I'm being realistic and saying if we can come out of there with a score draw, um, a 2-2, even a one um would be nice um, just to get the away goals on the board. I think that's that's probably, for me, the number one objective is, is get some goals in the bag. Um the result can deal with itself. If we lose 3-2, we lose 4-2. We've got them goals in the bag and then whatever the second leg may be held, fingers crossed at Anfield, we can hopefully eradicate that. We see Leipzig on the road at Old Trafford was an absolute car crash. Um, so that's the, the small trinkets of hope I hold there. So, you know, we're not the only fixture this week. We're not the only fixture on Tuesday night. There's quite another tasty tie taking place in Barcelona with PSG. Um, this is what the Champions League's all about, isn't it, really? The last 16 is when it starts to get a little bit juicy. So I'll run through the remaining ties, but, you know, Barcelona, Paris Saint-Germain, does that whet the appetite as well? Uh, it's, it could certainly be interesting because Barcelona, uh, Barcelona are in a, a pretty woeful place. Um, so, yeah, <laughs> that, that, that's, a, that's another game that could be, you know, anything really. But you could see PSG going there and doing uh, and beating them. But again, in, in terms of score lines, it's one of them, you know, where you, you click on the GIF and then pause it to see what the score is. Yeah, I mean, I imagine us as Liverpool fans, we'll all be watching our own game, but that's certainly one to keep an eye on, maybe to get the highlights on afterwards. Uh, Wednesday night, we've got Porto hosting Juventus. Um, I think, as anyone would probably say, that is probably more shadowed towards Juventus. But then, 
another very intriguing tie Wednesday night is Sevilla versus Dortmund. Now, Sevilla, only until I checked a few days ago, have not conceded a goal in the league in seven matches. They've won seven in a row without conceding. Dortmund, you and I both know, you can get absolutely anything from Dortmund. You can get the great to the absolute atrocious. This one could be like Leipzig-Liverpool, another really intriguing tie, given Dortmund's firepower up top, but also the fragility at the back, and Sevilla just being what seems to be a quite steady steamroller. Yeah, um, Dortmund, some from, uh, similarities to, to where Liverpool are in, time, in terms of form and confidence. <coughs> they, they certainly have the firepower. They can score the goals, but yeah, as you said, you know, leaky at the back, and, and another team who were, you know, are, are capable of crumbling as well. So that yeah, that absolutely could be an intriguing tie. Yeah, I mean, that's certainly one definitely for me. I'd probably be watching on Wednesday night rather than Porto Juventus. I think that will probably just go to the form book and probably see Juventus two 0 win. And then before we are back again in a few weeks' time, there is obviously there is the split schedule around the 16, so the other fixtures take place next week. Um, I'll run through all four of them for you if you want to touch on any, feel free. So we've got Atletico Madrid hosting Chelsea, Lazio hosting Bayern Munich, Atalanta hosting Real Madrid, and Mönchengladbach hosting Manchester City. Have you got any of those games in mind which you think is probably circled in the diary as a must-watch, or are you just basically there for the football and see what comes from them? Um, uh, nothing that is absolute must watch. Um, Atletico should have too much for Chelsea. Bayern should have too much for Lazio. Uh, Atalanta versus Real Madrid. Now that could be one for the for the neutral, as we've seen with Atalanta. You're not entirely certain what you're going to get from them, and you could probably say the same about Real Madrid. And they scraped their way through that that group, so you know there could very easily be a shock on in that tie. Um. But as for Gladbach against uh, Manchester City, uh, it's it's difficult to see anything but City steamroller in them. So my pick in there, if you want have want a bit of fun, I'd probably say Atalanta against Real Madrid. Not Lazio Bayern, given how Lazio can be at home. Yeah, uh, no, I, I still think Bayern will just have too much across the two legs. They'll just have too much. Um, but they're not the same. This is the thing where people are talking about, like Thiago um, and whatnot. Thiago comes from a team in Bayern who are much more aggressive in terms of pressing than, than Liverpool are. Uh, but but Bayern have not had quite the same energy this season, and they've not been quite the same. But that they still they still have so much about them that I, I would expect them to uh, to get themselves through that tie to get the job done, as they always mm. seem to do. Yes, let me go with Chelsea. Yeah, that know-how and quality enough to get the job done. There is a little bit of an intriguing aspect with that tie now with Tuchel coming in. Chelsea may just have a little bit more tactical knowledge rather than what Frank was bringing to the table. So that, you know, maybe could slightly tip the scales a bit more rather than it would fully be in Flesco's favour. But Luis Suarez just seems to be revitalised for Flesco this season. He's He's certainly laughing at Barcelona for letting him go there. Anyway, I'd say. Um, I guess that's where we can leave it for now. You know, we've we've tried to avoid talking about Liverpool too much and the, the current travesties of what's going on in our league form. Um, hopefully, we've put a, a little bit of nice listening to the P 
people's ears and they can enjoy the tie on Tuesday night, however it may go. Um, the positive thing is we've got three weeks before we are back and hopefully um, by then the likes of Jota, Fabinho, Keita will all be in and around the squad and playing again. So, you know, always look on the bright side of life. Um, have you got anything for the listeners to keep their eyes and ears out for, Andy? Uh, just one thing I'll have coming out in the, the not-too-distant future is a piece I'm working on on uh, Holstein Kiel, who were in the second league, the second division, the second Bundesliga here in Germany. So um, take a look out for that. Uh, it'll come up on my Twitter feed, uh, Andy Armchair. And, and thanks for having me on. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, well, you know, at some point this season, I had to get the previous host of this podcast back on the on the line and given your German connections, um, it seemed only fitting to get you back in. Um, hopefully, all being well, we get Dortmund further down the line, you'll be back on again. Um, that would be nice. Oh, that that would be that would indeed be very pleasurable. <laughs> that would be very nice indeed. Just to get through a tie. Yeah, just that, to, that, you know, yeah, some positive. Something positive. Um, so that all, all that leaves for me to say is uh, thank you for Andy for joining us today. Um, thank you for the listener to taking the time out and listening to us. Hopefully, preview what will be an exciting tie. I think there's no doubt in the fact that this tie holds a lot of intrigue, probably a lot of goals, probably a few mistakes given how Andy said Leipzig can play and how we are currently performing at the moment. So until next time, thank you and goodbye. Up the Reds and hopefully. Jürgen Klopp is smiling again soon. Miller, lovely cushion header. But you're What a headshot! What a head! The time to Luis Garcia. Tries his mark. Podcast Network.